Welcome to the Green Acres Podcast. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. We are so grateful uh, that you are here. And, uh, you know, we've been walking through this series together about what it means to be distinct as God's people, as the church. We talked about this purpose that we have. There's only one purpose. The purpose remains. It has always been uh, the purpose of God's people is to glorify, make much of the name of the Lord. And we talked about this, um, this word that we have, this word of God that is inerrant, that is infallible, that is authoritative, that it is dependable, it is trustworthy. And this word uh, is pointing to a message about the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that Jesus came and died in your place so that you can have eternal life in Christ Jesus. But, uh, but there's more to it as well, that we have this process that is unlike any other process in the world. I mean, it's a distinct process for sure, but it is this process that God has set apart for his people to participate in gospel living and kingdom work. And it is only this process that guarantees the advancement of God's kingdom. I don't know if you are aware of this or not. One of our favorite family traditions on Saturdays is to either go out for breakfast or um, we have breakfast as a family at home. We either have pancakes uh, or waffles, okay? Um, I don't really care. I don't have a bias toward either one as long as it just sops up all of that syrup, all right? Um, I don't care what it's on. I put syrup on anything, all right? Eggs, toast. I'm kidding, all right? But uh, pancakes, waffles, anything, right? Um, but then... Um, I, I was paying attention at the grocery store at the cost of different syrups. I never knew that there was anything, any type of syrup that costs more than two or three bucks. All right, and this has nothing to do with uh, inflation, by the way. All right, there's this whole nother subculture of hippies in the world that produce these fancy maple syrup. Did y'all know about this? I mean, listen, there was um, at Brookshire's, okay, you have your, all right, don't, don't be alarmed, okay, at Brookshire's, you can go right now and you can get a bottle of syrup, you know, like Aunt Jemima Hungry Jack, one of the good ones, right, all right, um, for like two or three bucks, all right, or you can get to, to this like unknown brand and you can spend up to like 15 bucks on a bottle of syrup. I mean, that's some pretty expensive sugar to just sop up your, you know, from your pancake, all right, if you ask me. But then I started wondering, why is it so different? Like, how can you have a $2 bottle of syrup or three, and then you have a $15 bottle of syrup? All right, so I went on this rabbit trail because I'm ADD and I'm curious, all right, but I went on this rabbit trail um, looking into different syrups. There's this, I mean, it's incredible. All right, it started way, way, way back, okay, with um, some Native Americans in the North American Canada region, and they would go deep into the woods, and they still do this today, by the way, all right, same practice, same process. They go deep into the woods to find a sugar bush. Anybody ever heard of a sugar bush? All right, listen, you've heard of a sugar mama or a sugar daddy, but this is a sugar bush, all right? Um, I don't, that, that has no relevancy to today's message, all right? But 
a sugar bush is like a group of maple trees that you can go and, and get the sap from, right? Okay, so they would go in and they would hand drill um, the little holes so that they can put a metal pipe, a uh, small metal pipe into the tree with a bucket on the end of it. And then the sap comes running out and they fill their buckets. They take these buckets, they put them into, take the sap, put it into a kettle over an open fire. They let that sit for a couple hours until it boils. Okay. All right. Or if you're not from the South boils, whatever you say. All right. But until it boils. All right. And then when it boils, guess what happens? All of the sugar kind of concentrates, and that's where you get the maple syrup, that kind of final product that we're familiar with. But, but here's what is interesting. About, it takes about 50 different trees to get about 30 to 40 gallons on a good day all right, of the sap. And then when the process is over with, after uh, filtering all of the impurities and all of that that, it, that takes place, you're left with about one gallon out of that 30 to 40 gallons of sap of maple syrup. You whittle it down to one gallon. Well, this tells you exactly why there's a difference in price. Here's what ultimately you find out is that the greater the process, the greater the product. But as consumers... And my wife won't let me even try the expensive syrup because she says it will break our grocery budget or whatever. But, um, so I can't even tell you if it's better. All right? but, but the consumer is okay with a cheaper process so that the product is cheaper in our pocket. Do you know that we do the same exact thing in church? We do the same exact thing in our life with Christ that we're actually okay as a consumer of the church to cheapen the process. I mean, to cheapen the investment and we're okay with the byproduct. We're okay with a cheaper product. We're okay with a lesser product. We do this all the time. Well, when you look at Ephesians chapter four, when you look at what Paul is saying, he is saying, he is, he is guaranteeing that there's only one process that is going to guarantee a product that God desires for your life. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 10? He says, I have come to give you life and I've come so that you can have it abundantly. I'm not talking about this wimpy life. I'm not talking about this superficial life. I'm not talking about a life that you're kind of halfway in, halfway out. No, I'm talking about a life that you are truly yearning for, a life that you truly desire. It's not the white picket fence. It's the whiteness of purity that is only given to you by Jesus Christ himself. And he says, if you would just walk in this process that I have told you to be about, then guess what? You're going to have this life. I'm telling you. This is what Jesus guarantees. But here's the problem. We're okay with a lesser product. Like, I'm okay if my family is just kind of in on Jesus. Like, I'm okay if, if they're not completely sold out. I mean, I don't want my kids to be weird. Like, I'm okay if, if our family is just kind of halfway in, halfway out, because, I mean, we're saved. I mean, we're good. How many times do you hear attitudes like this in the church? And we may not say it out loud, but we, we say it with our feet. We say it with our checkbook. We say it with our hands. It's very clear. But the truth is, is that there's only one process, and it's this process of discipleship that really makes the difference in somebody's life. 
This process of discipleship is really the only thing that makes a difference in your life. It's the only difference maker in your marriage. It's the only difference maker in the way that you raise your kids. Oh, and by the way, it impacts every portion of your life. Discipleship is the expectation, not at church, but where you live, where you work, where you play. There is no context that you can think of in your life that discipleship should not be a part of, that this process that you should not be walking through as a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, if you will, will you stand with me if you're able to do so? And I just want to invite you, if you don't have your own Bible or your copy of God's Word, there's one right in front of you in the pew. You can take that one. You can keep it. All right? That's a gift from this church. All right? It says this in Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. God, we ask you now, um, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, through your word, God, that you would help us understand your word today and you would apply it to each of our lives. And so, Father, help us now and by your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. You know, discipleship is pretty simple. Discipleship is something that you have heard of. It's not um, anything that is kind of unknown, right? We hear about it, we talk about it, but it is rare that we actually practice it according to God's expectations, according to God's design in his word. Discipleship is simply this. Discipleship is the process of making disciples. Now, the question always comes up, okay, well, what does it mean to make a disciple? This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. It's right before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He promises that the spirit, the helper, the paraclete um, is going to come. All right, And he says that as soon as this helper comes, you, listen, it's going to be better than, as it, uh, than me being here with you in the flesh. Why? Because no longer is Jesus walking beside us, but the spirit of God walks inside of us with this helper. And he says this. He says in Matthew chapter 28... Uh, verses 16 through 20, he, he gives this explanation of what the church is supposed to be about. And it's this one thing that the church is supposed to be about. He says, all of authority on heaven and earth 
has been given unto me. And then he says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, teaching them to obey or teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And then he ends it with this promise. He says, remember, I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus gives this expectation and, and sandwiched between these two promises, he says, listen, I, I promise you're going to have the power to do it because the spirit of God, uh, the spirit of myself is coming and he's going to come and rest upon you to empower you to do this. But, but then on the other end, he says, and I am always going to be with you. So there will never be a time that you are committed to the mission of God that you do not have his power and his presence with you. But then he makes this one command because through all of this, he makes one command. He does not command to baptize. He does not command to teach. He says, as you are going, meaning that throughout every context of your life, make disciples. That's what he said. There's no other command in the Great Commission other than make disciples disciples. He says that this is the one thing that you should be about, and everything else is a distraction. You see, what Jesus does when he empowers us is that we have to understand that Christ has given opportunity for the process. Because you are empowered with the Spirit, as a follower of Jesus, you have an opportunity to take part in this process. You see, many times when we think about discipleship, we think that this is for the elite. This is for the growing Christian. This is for, um, you know, not really for me, who's kind of like the third string Christian. Okay, let me, let me just tell you something. When you look around the church body, you need to understand one thing. We are all third string Christians. None of us are first string. There's no one who is walking on this earth who Jesus would look at and say, you know what, because of how educated you are, you know what, because of how good you've been or because of this, what you have done, Jesus doesn't look at us and say, because you have done this, you know, I'm going to put you on first string and you're going to start in today's game. No, 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 that is not That is not how this works. Jesus looks at us and says, uh, despite, in spite of how even though you are not this, even though you can't do this, even though you are nothing apart from me, I choose you to be on my team to further my kingdom. You see, it is an act of grace. It is an act of mercy for God himself to include you, to allow you to participate in his kingdom work. It has nothing to do. It's not because we're more educated. It's not because we have a a greater value in ourselves in God's eyes. No, he values you even though you are broken and useless in his kingdom. But when you are in the hand of God and when you obey him, you are very useful in the hand of God. This is something that should turn us to allow us to understand that every one of us, we have a part to play and we have an opportunity to be a part in this process. You know, I'm not trying to pick a scab or anything, but last week, as we were all watching the end of the Cowboys game together, 
left in brokenness again. Uh, but I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not trying to pick a scab. So that's all I'm going to say about it. But but as we were watching this, you know, everybody turned so quick. As soon as the game was over, boy, Facebook was just lit up with just so much trash talk on Jerry Jones, Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, these guys can't do anything. All right, some of it is true. Okay, okay, that was the last statement. All right, but 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 here's what is interesting. Um, it's funny that fans, man, they love their team as long as their team is doing exactly what they want them to do. But you know, there's only one person who really has an opinion that matters. There's only one person who actually um, deserves to make any decisions in the Cowboys organization. And it's not the fans, it's Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry Jones, that joker, he's the one who in 1989 bought the Cowboys for $150 million. No one else can say that. So if he wants to have a terrible quarterback and a terrible running back and a terrible organization, then that's his prerogative, right? Enough, okay? (laughs) I do think it's funny. Anyways, you know, it's the same thing in the church though, right? There is only one owner of the church, And no matter what my six-year-old says, it's not me, all right? I have not been telling her that. You know, kids are kind of funny because they come up to you and they always say things like, your church, when they're talking to me or when they were talking to Pastor David or, you know, they say, your church. And I'm like, whoa, 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 okay, okay, we got to get something before something happens, okay? This is not my church. Why? There's only one owner of this church and it belongs to the one who paid for it. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this about Jesus, that it was Jesus who laid down his life to purchase the church. No one else did that. And so it is according to his design and the way that we function. Why? Because he's the owner. Revelation even says this. In Revelation 5, 9, it says that because, uh, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered, Jesus. You purchased people for God by your blood, every tribe and language and people and nation. It is only Jesus that bought this church. It is Jesus who bought the church and he purchased it by his own life, by his own blood. And so therefore we surrender to his game plan, his design, and we do what he says. And he says that discipleship is the only thing that we should be a part of. Discipleship is it. This is the blueprint for the kingdom of God. It is not just evangelism. It is discipleship. Because here's what we have a gift is that we have guidelines for this process. And it's very clear. The guidelines Paul gives us, according to the Great Commission even, it says uh, to build up, verse 12, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. He said, these are the guidelines. You are to grow the body of Christ. You are to build up the body of Christ. This is what you're called to do. How do we do it? By making disciples. What does that mean? Listen, our, 
Our vision statement of transforming lives with the truth of Jesus, our values, connect, grow, multiply. These are not just sayings that we want to decorate the walls with. This is what we truly believe is the biblical process for making disciples. Discipleship ends with transformation, not just conversion. Transformation. This is why we understand that we have the task of connecting people to Jesus and his church. I say that it's not just evangelism because remember where we ended last week. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, he says that on that day, um, they, many accepted his message, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Meaning that they took responsibility for those who were saved. The body of believers, they took it upon themselves to make sure that they were not just connected to Christ through evangelism and conversion, but they were connected to Christ um, through conversion and being a part of the body of Christ. Meaning that you are now in our fold. This is what Jesus does. He has a sheep's pen, and he is the one who opens the gate and closes the gate, and he allows people in, and he expects us to shepherd the sheep in such a way that we take responsibility for every single one of them, not just conversion, but their life, because they are given to us by Jesus himself, and this gives us a task of growing people in the likeness of Jesus. You see, it says this in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. You see, we have been given this task of not just connecting people to the church, but as they are connected to the church because of our diligence of evangelism and reaching people, we are called to make sure that we ourselves are growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ, in the fullness of Christ, and that we are causing others to grow in the likeness and fullness of Christ. Listen, this is not elitism. This is not for the the A-class citizen of the kingdom of God. This is for every person who has given their life and surrendered to Jesus, that you are to help others surrender their lives to Jesus and grow in his likeness. This is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. In Matthew chapter 4, you see that when Jesus called the disciples, he said, come and follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He said, attach yourself to me and I'm going to teach you how to become a fisher of men, to be a disciple maker. And this is what we see from that. Jesus started in that three-year process the entire foundations of the world shook and the church was enacted because of the modeling that Jesus gave. And what happened from there? Multiplication. You see, we have this task of multiplying for the purpose of Jesus. I want you to hear what Timothy uh, was given, these instructions by Paul. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, it says this. It says, what you have heard from me, okay, in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
You know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, listen, Timothy, of everything that I can give you, of all of the instruction that I can give you, make sure that your teaching goes on to other faithful men. Why? So that you can reproduce yourself, so that you can multiply for my purpose. You know, the most startling moment in Scripture to me is in Judges. When you get from Judges 1 to Judges 2, and you see that an entire generation is lost. You went from a people of God who knew the Lord, who worshiped God, who served the Lord, and then in Judges you see that an entire generation went by and they did not know God. What happened? There was a breakdown in their process. They were okay with a cheaper result, a cheaper product, and therefore multiplication ceased to exist in their lives. One person told me, a pastor in Nashville, He's written numerous books on, on discipleship, and he told me this. His name's Robbie Gallaty. He told me, he said, far too long, the church has been over-programmed and under-discipled, and the test was COVID, and the church failed. Now, that's not a blanket statement across every church. He's just talking in result of seeing a continual decline in church attendance, and church movement in America, it is because we have been over-programmed and under-discipled far too long. But how can we know? Because it's not as if programs are evil, but if they do not lead people to Jesus to connect with him and the church so that they can grow in the likeness of Jesus and multiply for his purpose, then guess what? The program is not a pillar in the church. The program is a distraction in the church. If the program is not leading people to discipleship, if this program that we have, it doesn't matter how long we've ever had it. If the program does not help grow people in the likeness of Jesus, it is a distraction from God's mission. It is not helping us pursue God's mission. But how do we know? See, the good thing is, is that Paul gave us some indicators. And he says this, he says in verse 14, he says, listen, if you commit to the process if you commit to these things, then you will no longer be little children tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. You know what he's saying, what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, here's, here's the indicator. Here's the mark for discipleship. If you're a disciple maker or if you're a disciple making church, here are the marks. The church will be full of mature Christians. It's that simple. The church will be marked by maturity. It won't be like a bunch of spiritual infants just walking around trying to figure out how to make church life work. No, it'll be led by mature Christians who have taken the church from other mature Christians who have passed it on from generation to generation to generation. And, and this is the test here. He says, you're not going to be tossed around. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Listen, I remember every time when we brought our newborns home, they were completely dependent on everything from mom and dad. Everything. 
I mean, and it's the cutest thing. I mean, when there's nothing better than a baby and you get to feed it with a bottle. I mean, there's nothing better. It's just sweet times. But there's something sick about a grown man or a grown woman wanting to have a baby bottle, right? There's nothing cute about it. I've tried it. No, I'm kidding. I haven't. But this is what Peter's talking about. Here's the difference. Every person grows in age. Only disciples grow in maturity. And the worst thing that we could allow to happen is that we cheapen the process for the sake of investment. We cheapen the process by turning just a blind eye toward impurities or whatever it may be. And then what we end up happening is we're growing a bunch of people in age, but not a bunch of people in maturity. This is where we need to step back and caution ourselves and make sure, because here is the problem. It's easy to see a baby physically. It's hard to recognize a baby spiritually. But even when we cannot recognize them, we can't see them with our eyes, I promise you this, you can hear them with your ears. Just like, just like the fans with the Cowboys who turn so quickly, this is what spiritual infants do. Spiritual infants are the ones who sit in the, in the stands, and man, they are happy as can be. As long as their team is winning, as long as their quarterback throws to their receiver, as long as their running back gets the most carries, and man, they're hitting the holes that their linemen are splitting up and making wide open for them. Listen, as long as the team is running how they think it should be run, those fans, boy, they are happy. The spiritual infants, man, they're happy when everything, when they come into their, their pew is right where it needs to be. They're happy when, man, they played the songs that I love. Man, the worship leader looked exactly how I like him to look. You know, the preacher actually had a coat on, and that's the way I like it. And listen, listen, you don't see spiritual infants, but you hear them. And church, this, is, this should be alarming to us. This should cause us to take a step back and ask the Lord, God, would you just be merciful to me? And let me just give you a little secret before we start pointing fingers. Every single one of us are in desperate need for the God of the universe, for the spirit of God himself to root out the immaturity in our lives so that we may mature in unity, so that we may mature in faith. Not one person... Not one person can say, I finally have arrived. I am mature. Not one of us can say that. It is the Lord's grace that he would root out immaturity in us. It is the Lord's mercy that he would allow us to mature in our faith and walk with him unhindered and in purity. But we must recognize that we are in desperate need of the spirit of God to fall on us and for us to remove everything else that will distract us from him and say, Lord, I am yours. I will do do what you say and do with me whatever you want or desire. Every one of us, we are in need of this. Why? Because this is how the kingdom advances. This is how you pass on your faith to the next generation. This is how we Secure ourselves in the process of discipleship. So you want to know, okay, well, what do I need to do then? 
The first step is this. You cannot be in the process of discipleship if you are not a disciple. There are so many times that, that we think, okay, well, I'm going to step into a relationship for discipleship. I'm going to help disciple somebody. But the truth is, is that you're not connected to Jesus yourself. The first step is that you are sure that you are connected to Jesus Christ, that he has saved you, that you have surrendered your life to him. The second step is this, is that you would just simply join in on a connect group. Find community, biblical community around you, because it's in biblical community that you rub shoulders with people that opens the doors to discipleship, discipleship relationships. The third thing, Ask someone around you, anyone. Pray for somebody to see you. Pray for, for the Lord to give you somebody that you should disciple, that you should meet with. And then simply just meet. Make a weekly habit of meeting with people for the sake of discipleship, for connecting to Christ together, for growing in Christ together. And then you go and you get others and you multiply for the purpose of Christ together. This is God's design. Do not cheapen the process. Do not cut corners on the process. It takes hard work. It takes commitment. It takes dedication. And I promise you this, it will be the blessing of your life when you commit to the process because he guarantees the product and it won't be cheaper. It won't be lesser. It'll be what God has designed for you specifically. We just bow your head and just close your eyes. And even now, would you just ask the Lord, God, what, what do I need to do to step into this process? God, what do I need to do to be a part of the discipleship of this church? And I pray even right now for the person that knows that the step that they are missing is that first step. They need to give their life to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help that person. That you would help them understand what it means to follow you, what it means to repent of their sins and turn to you. God, I pray for the person who right now just feels like they're walking in this life alone. God, I pray that you'll give them community around them. God, that they would take a step of faith and either try a connect group. They would just reach out to somebody. And Father, I pray that we, as your body, we would be sensitive to those hurting around us, those who are in need of community and discipleship around us. And God, I pray for our church our church body that has this long legacy of growing in our faith and growing in maturity. God, we want to continue that legacy. And so, Father, would you give us the insight, the wisdom, discernment of how to do that best. And I pray, Jesus, that in everything we do, that we would glorify you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, 
confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres. Whatever that decision is, we wanna come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we wanna walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.